it's a great privilege to bring this together in God's uh, word. But there are momentous days in our lives, momentous weeks. We've had a good week this week. Have you had a good week? Yes, good, bad, ugly, some of us. It's hard to know. We have so many stories, don't we? But uh, there was a bit of a... Perth's had a big week in the entertainment scene. Our family got involved in that. Some family members who will remain nameless. I went to see a very famous singer who came to Perth, uh, Taylor Swift. Although we told uh, the grandparents and they're like, who's Taylor Swift? (laughs) We're like, how is it possible to not know that? Anyway, so Perth hosted Taylor Swift. And as you know, Taylor Swift has sold... uh, Millions and millions and millions of records around the world. Uh, Very famous, probably one of the most famous female singer-songwriters. She writes her own songs, she sings her own songs. And I've always got a special place in my heart for singer-songwriters, don't you? Because it comes from them. And uh, I think that's why we put up with Bob Dylan for so many years, because he wrote the songs. And let me give you the, uh, uh, just a shout-out to Bob. I remember Adele wrote that uh, song, or sang that song uh, recently. Um, it start, talks about a warm embrace, I could, uh, I'll give you my love, or something like that. And he had a big hit all around. If you search that, Bob Dylan wrote that song. Bob wrote it. And he does his own version of it. But it's still good enough, because Bob wrote it. So Taylor Swift uh, has sung millions of songs, oh sorry, sung millions, uh, sold millions of records, and, but wherever she goes, uh, her fans all, always wanted to sing two songs that they never tire of hearing. Can you guess what songs they are? Love Story and You Belong to Me. And I'm not sure if you read the bulletin, but uh, anyway... Says there, but I always throw in my opening illustration into the bulletin if I can. <laughs> At least you know where I'm going. And um, people love those songs not just because they're beautifully written and beautifully sung. She does have a beautiful voice, but there's something in us that resonates with the vo- uh, with not just the voice but the theme of the song. There's something in us that connects to the truths of those songs. And we wouldn't, have you ever thought about that? We wouldn't like them unless we joined with them in some way. Do you know what I'm saying? We connect with them and it draws it out of us. And in the movie The Shape of Water, which is the Academy Award winning movie for 2018, we see a beauty, oops, go back. We see a beauty and beast sort of fantasy tale. Uh, It's set with a sort of a surreal setting and it's about impossible love coming true. And we sort of suspend reality in this movie uh, for a bit with a hero and a heroine coming together, both rescuing each other from evil through this love. And in the Bible, we see a more impossible love uh, or more impossible truth and even an infinite truth and love from God to humanity a rescue mission that we can resonate with and something deeply resonates with us in that if we open our hearts to it. Uh, And this love of God, this infinite love, forgives, it heals, it transforms and it empowers us to live with God in his rescue mission. When we just say yes, as Taylor would have it, to God's love. And anyone can say yes to God. You don't have to be two years old. I've got a friend who's a child evangelist. Ooh, the word evangelist uh, sort of 
in our pluralistic postmodern world, people are like, how dare you foist your beliefs on children? Mm, we do it every day. Just look at some Coca-Cola ads. Um, he has no doubt that children can make very sincere and committed responses to Jesus that last a lifetime. Who became a, a Christian here under the age of 12? I did. Who became a Christian under the age of 18? Yeah. Most people become Christians in their youth because there's something of the childlike that resonates with the love of God. And so we see in this movie, this Academy Award movie, the, the sort of exploring of this, this strange and surreal fantasy of a hero and a heroine a heroine and a hero, who save each other from by an impossible love of giving, accepting, healing, knowing, against ignorance and indifference and evil. And so if you have or haven't seen the movie, it's good for us to get on the page with regard to the feel of this movie. If we can dim the lights here, let's watch the official trailer of this movie and let's get our head into this. If I told you about her, the princess without voice, what would I say? Clean that lab, you get out. This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human. Stands on two legs, right? But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? This creature is intelligent, capable of language, of understanding emotions. looks at me he doesn't know how I am incomplete he sees me as I am the natives in the Amazon worship it like a god Get him out. What are you talking about? No. We need to take it apart, learn how it works. I don't want an intricate, beautiful thing destroyed. We can do nothing. I'm sorry. Don't do this, Elasa. What is she saying? Don't do this. Oh, God, it's not even human. If I told you about her, what would I say? I wonder. Okay. So there we go. So in this movie, we see 
three life-changing themes that answer the deepest yearnings in us. They resonate with us. And I would say that perhaps, I would say that we need this as human beings, uh, as followers of Jesus. Perhaps this morning you need it because you're looking for that life-changing love in your life. Perhaps you have never come to that place where you're seeking Jesus, God's healing, his acceptance, his transformation, and his empowerment. And you need that. Perhaps you're a follower of Jesus, uh, but you want to connect with this movie so you can share this love with others. Because people talk about these movies in our lives, and this can be an equipping time for us. They talk about them at the water coolers in our in our workplaces. Um, and we can use this theme as a way of, uh, this movie as a way of connecting with these deep themes. But I need to give you a warning, if you haven't seen this movie, that uh, it's an adult movie. It's an MA plus movie. It has some dark, grim, disturbing type of themes within it that, uh, and I wouldn't recommend it for anyone under the age of 15 or 16 unless you pre-brief it and debrief it afterwards. And uh, I just keep that in mind. So in talking about this movie, we're not affirming every one of the themes in the movie uh, or every one of the images you would see or some of the, uh, the subtexts of this movie. But we're doing what the Bible tells us to do. The Lord Jesus himself uh, engaged his world with all its brokenness and woundedness and brought the life-giving themes of love. And the Apostle Paul And tells us, God speaks to us through the Apostle Paul when he says that we can take any thought and make it captive uh, to Christ. And the Apostle Paul did this in Athens in Acts chapter 17. It's one of the great principles of Christianity that allows us to connect with our world so meaningfully. Is when Paul said this, standing up in this great place of learning. And he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. And as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship... I found even an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And then then he goes on to say, For even in your own poets, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And the Apostle Paul was quoting from the poets and philosophers of Athens. And he uses these poets and philosophers to connect with that theme of worship of the unknown. And then he speaks to them of that unknown God made real in the person of Jesus. And that's what allows Christians who are followers of Jesus to to live in the world, but not of the world. And we don't cloister ourselves away and hide ourselves from reality. We engage every thought. It's what's caused Christians to found hospitals and orphanages around the world, to do work in the deepest, darkest places of humanity and take captive those thoughts. It allows us to engage philosophy so that we can serve and grow and bring people to God. So let's have a look at these life-giving themes that answer our deepest yearnings as humans. These are the things that jumped out at me that you could use and actually embrace in your own life if you're looking for God. And the first of these is this is that we as human beings yearn for rescue. And God has a loving rescue plan. As the Bible teaches us quite clearly, God says, but when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, 
the humanity, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So that having been justified, that is declared and made righteous, that's what the word justified means, by his grace, his undeserved, unmerited love, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. An heir is a person who receives an inheritance once someone dies. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. This is what God is talking about when he talks about a love and a rescue plan. And this movie talks about a rescue, the rescue of two people of each other. Uh, And in the Bible, uh, in this movie, we see this rescue. We see this sense of rescue coming out in, in some of the scenes. And in the opening scene, it talks about this. And I just want to show us this scene to get us into that, and then we'll discuss it. If we could just dim the lights for this scene, that'd be great. If you could just push the button here. If I spoke about it, if I did, what would I tell you? I wonder. Would I tell you about the time? It happened a long time ago, it seems, in the last days of a fair prince's reign. Or would I tell you about the place? A small city near the coast, but far from everything else. Or, I don't know, would I tell you about her? The princess without voice. Or perhaps I would just warn you about the truth of these facts and the tale of love and loss and the monster who tried to destroy it all. So we yearn for rescue in this movie. talks about a tale of love and loss, a princess without voice, and an unspeakable or a monster who tried to destroy it all. And the Bible's story, God's story of rescue, talks about those themes as well, that God is the loving ruler of the world, and he loves the world as a great king, as a great lover, and he embraces the world and created the world. And there's an object of his affection, a princess, according to God. And that princess is the people of God, who in the Old Testament gives very evocative images of how God loves. 
very uh, earthy, evocative, not quite erotic images, but very loving, passionate images of God. In the, just one of the greatest uh, stories is in the prophecy of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. God says, Israel, my people, you were like a baby that was untimely born and unloved by its mother and father and just thrown with its placenta into the field, lying, wriggling, dying in its own blood. These aren't my words. These are God's word in Ezekiel, if you've read Ezekiel. He said, And I came along like a prince, and I saw you there dying in your own blood, and I felt compassion for you. And so I took you out of that field, and I washed you, and I rubbed salt on your skin, you know, the... That's how they did it back then. They took a baby out, they washed it, rubbed salt, disinfected, cleaned. And I brought you into my palace and I loved you. And you grew up as my child. And uh, you grew up as my, as my betrothed. And I married you when you were of age. God has a great image of God, uh, of God's love for Israel. And in the New Testament... The church is called, the people of God are called the, the bride of Christ. We're called the, the bride that the bridegroom longs for. And anyone who's a bridegroom who's been waiting patiently to be married and has held themselves back from all other act, sexual activity until marriage, you know what I'm talking about. You're longing for marriage. And I think that's true of a, of a, a, a bride as well. It's not some sort of, ooh. No, it's a deep, earthy, passionate love. And that's what God feels for us. But the Bible talks about this love has been ruined, and it's been ruined by two great monsters in our world. And the first monster is the spiritual monster of the universe that the Bible gives a name to, and that name is Satan. Jesus himself said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. For Jesus, Satan was a spiritual being in heaven, an angelic being, who was thrown and cast from heaven to earth and wanders the earth. And we see those themes brought up in Job that we've looked at in the Bible. Satan presents himself before God and he wanders the earth. Jesus named that as the spiritual force of evil who seeks to destroy and ruin. We don't know why. We never explain fully why God allows this. It doesn't fully explain it. It doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that we don't understand it. The Bible doesn't fully ex- explain those things, but it gives us these clues. And there's a monster that's trying to destroy the universe and the world. God has the victory. And we're players in that, in that story, a story of reality. But there's a monster within us as well. And it's the part of us that rebels against God and says no to him. That tries to undo the good that God is doing. That holds God at arm's length and says, please let me be the ruler of my life. I'll be well behaved. I might give to charity. I'll be a person who's a good person in the world sense, or I mightn't be. But the deepest issue is I want to run my life my way. I don't want you to be my God. And God has stepped into that world, that universe, and he's stepped in in the person of his son, Jesus. And he has appeared to bring a rescue. And he's rescuing the world. And this is what God is talking about, this sense of rescue, rescuing us from who we were. And it happens in our lives when we accept Jesus on God's terms. 
and we turn to Jesus and we say yes to his forgiveness, to our brokenness, we say no to. We turn to him, yes to the healing of our brokenness, our woundedness that comes from ourselves. And we accept that. And that's what this movie does. It, it touches on that theme. And so we can, we can apply this to our lives by firstly being rescued and secondly be a rescuer, be a person who's in, embracing God's plan of rescue in our lives. And what a wonderful thing it'll be to discuss that with God daily as well as for eternity. That's the first theme. The second theme is that we yearn for grace, the power of grace to draw humans to God. There's something in the human spirit that celebrates and loves grace and responds when people give us an undeserved and unmerited favour. When we know we've blown it, we don't deserve forgiveness, we can't make it right anymore, and someone bears that cost for us. They reach out in love and they touch our spirit, our soul, and they love us. That's what the word grace means. It's a word that's uh, sort of birthed by Christians in the early centuries. And we attach to that word all the blessings of the Old Testament word hesed, which is the sort of the Old testament version of that, but we added more, particularly the person of Jesus. We said, see God on the cross dying for you. That means grace. And the movie touches this. And you see this in this very central scene, uh, scene of the movie where Eliza's talking to the professor who's sort of her companion in life. There's a platonic relationship. He's like her father, really. And she talks about the creature and how the creature makes her feel. And we see this wonderful exchange of grace in her life with this creature. Let's have a look at this. If we can just play this and drop down the lights. Out? What are you talking about? No, it's quite a strong scene. so. Not. Because it's breaking the law, that's why. Probably breaking the law just talking about it. Oh, he's alone. Oh. Now, does this mean that whenever we go to a Chinese restaurant, you want to save every fish in the tank? So what if he's alone? We're all alone. The loneliest thing you've ever seen. Well, you just said it, right? You just said it. You called it a thing. It's a thing. It's a freak. I can understand you. Calm down. God, calm down. All right, I, w- I will repeat it to you. What am I? I move my mouth like him. I make no sound like him. What does that make me? All that I am, all that I've ever been, brought me here to him. See, you're saying him. It's a him now. It's a... You just hit me. Eliza, let go of me. I'm looking. I'm looking. You've never... You hit me. When he looks at me, the way he looks at me, he doesn't know what I lack or how I am incomplete. He sees me for what I am as I am. 
was happy to see me. Every time. <laughs> Every day. And now, I can either save him. Or let him die. I have to leave. Just please, please stop. Listen to me. Just listen to me. I have to go. I have to. I'm leaving now because this, Eliza, this is very important to me. This is a second chance for me. I'm sorry, but I have to go. And when, oh, God. When I come back, we just will not talk about this ever again. Eliza, there's... Oh, all right. What are we? What, what are you and I? Do you know what we are? We are nothing. Nothing. We can do nothing. I'm sorry. But this, this, this is just, oh God, it's not even human. God. What? Okay, wasn't that great? Woo! That's so moving and powerful, isn't it? Where she describes that, she's a good actor, Sally Hawkins, and she's been in another couple of great movies. If you're if you're a fan of um, Jane Austen, she does a great version in a movie called Persuasion. Who's read the book? Anyone read the book Persuasion? Is it just me? Oh, Sally plays a role, just awesome. But what I love about that is that where she's saying he sees me, he's happy to see me, he sees all my brokenness. And he, he wants to be, it's okay. And that's the message of the gospel, people. That God sees you and me. He knows our brokenness. He knows the heartbeat of pain in every life in this room. Who's a person in this room who's not wounded in some way? Anyone? Who doesn't have the woundedness and brokenness of humanity in us? But when God looks at us, He doesn't go, naughty, naughty child. Get better and then I'll love you. He says, come to me. You who are heavy laden and I will give you rest because I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to embrace you. And all the brokenness and badness that you think that will prevent you from coming to me, that you're not worthy of my love, That's why I died on a cross. Everything that is in you that would prevent that was soaked up on the cross in my son, my eternal, infinite son. And God forsakes God on the cross. When Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who can understand that? I guarantee you I can't. How does God forsake God? We are never explained in the Bible how or we were explained why with a simple word, love. A love that embraces, a love that pays, a love that rises from the dead and says, come to me. Can you feel the passion in Elias' voice? Can you feel the passion of God when he wants to reach out? That's what's happening. And God knows no higher power, no greater way of transforming you and I than but saying, that's how much I love you. 
I'm not going to give you a bunch of laws and rules. You get your life together. That's how much I love you. No, I can only describe it with this act of God becoming human and dying on a cross for all the brokenness of the world. And he says, if you get it, if you see that love, then you'll get me. Doesn't that excite you? Oh, my God, it changed my life. It can change your life. And this is what God is saying. He, he, he draws us to himself through the power of grace and there's something in us that wants that. And we yearn for grace. We long for grace. And we long and are only happy when we give it as well. We need to receive God's grace in our lives and he calls us to it in his son. And we need to give grace There's no one more happy in this universe than a person who, through God's strength and love and empowerment, can give that grace to the brokenhearted. We don't get that message very often in the media. It's all about justice and retribution and and that type of thing. But when you see grace in operation, oh, it just changes. You see a happy person. That's the burden of God that lives in the heart of those. We yearn for grace. And finally, moving on, we see this other theme of yearning for legacy, the power of legacy. Our lives can have a wonderful power in illustrating the grace of God. And we see this in the movie. We see this wonderful statement in the last scene of the movie. It's the last scene before the end where there's a legacy that's being left from Elias' life. And we'll just watch that now. whispered by someone in love hundreds of years ago, unable to perceive the shape of you. I find you all around me. Your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart, for you are everywhere. Okay, there we go. I think I love that little statement at the end that I've, I've put it down for us. 
a little poem hundreds of years ago when I think of you or think of her of Eliza. The only thing that comes to mind is a poem whispered by someone in love hundreds of years ago. Unable to perceive the shape of you, I find you all around me. Your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart, for you are everywhere. And as I was thinking about that, I thought that's a, that's a lovely way to describe God, that God has given us that love. But in the context of the movie, it's really talking about legacy. It's talking about the fact that there's something in us, something that Elisa did that had a legacy in this man's heart as he's sharing those words. And we can have a legacy in our lives, and our lives yearn for legacy. One of the things that struck me uh, in my time as a prison chaplain uh, for three and a half years was just the sadness and the brokenness of men whose lives were without legacy. Many of the men who'd done unspeakable crimes uh, or just a number of crimes that led them to be in prison for a long time and broken, destroyed lives, men, regardless of the rightness or wrongness of their time in prison or their, their sentence or what they'd done, they were broken and destitute because they realised that for many of them they'd lost a legacy in their lives. There was no one, not one person outside of the world, outside of that prison, wanted to be like them or would encourage anyone else to be like them. And they'd lost that legacy. They'd lost the sense of contribution to the world. They were a cautionary tale. Don't be like them. If you, end, if you follow this path, you'll be like them. And there was a great bereftness of soul in their lives. But the Apostle Paul talks about his own life and how God rescued him from that. And he says this, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, says the Apostle Paul. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The Apostle Paul is talking here about the power of legacy. The fact that in his life, as God has rescued and changed him and transformed him, he becomes a person who can contribute to the lives of others and leave a legacy for those after who might glorify in God and say thank you. And there will come a day where we, we do see our legacy and we can receive a legacy from God through his son Jesus and we can give a legacy and we can leave a legacy of service and love for Jesus. Two of my favourite people in all the world, I spoke about them a few weeks ago in a sermon I did. Uh, C.T. Studd, ex-cricketer, such a good batsman at his time that they thought about changing the rules of cricket so he couldn't score as many runs as he was scoring. Anyone like that today? I can't think of a cricketer that good. He, he, I think I said he perfected the fine cut. And you know how in body line they made the rule you couldn't have two people down there on leg side, you couldn't have more than two people, you know, your rule. Anyway... That was because of Jardine, the cricket bowler who made these bounces and all this. That's how good a batsman this guy was. He became a follower of Jesus on his father's deathbed. He was given, uh, on his father's death, he was given £125,000 in 1890. His buying power today, $9 million. He gave half of it away to charity and to the mission field, gave half to his bride. 
as they were preparing for Christian mission service. And she said to him, Charlie, that's what she called him, let's give it all away so that we can truly have faith in God as we serve him. That's a, would you do it? I don't know if I would. Man, he's, he's left a legacy in Africa, China, as he served the, the gospel of Jesus. Another one, one of my favourites, talk about a heroine of the faith, Amy Carmichael. Read some of her writings sometime. Men and women, you will be changed. Talks about the love of Jesus to empower a person to give. The children that she loved called her Amma, which means loving mother. She went and served the orphans and the broken of India. And uh, this is her vision of life as a servant of God. When Jesus said, anyone who gives up their life for me and my sake and the gospel will gain it. That was her. She said, missionary life is just a a chance to die. She meant spiritually and to live in that. And Jesus says, come to the rescuer. Come to Jesus today. And uh, I couldn't show a last video today because if I did, we'd all be in tears. And you know how I don't like that. But I want to just give you a name and I want you to go on YouTube and I want you to look at the story of a man whose name is Nicholas Winton. And in 1939, he saved the lives of 969 Czechoslovakian Jewish children. A British man who just went to Czechoslovakia, he went to visit a friend who was an ambassador there. He was a young man of 29, he got there, realised that the Germans were about to invade Czechoslovakia. And he said, I need to do something to save these children, because I know what's happening to these Jewish families. So he said, I'll start to organise a few children out of Czechoslovakia. The Jewish families heard of it. They started bringing hundreds of children to him, 969. He put them on trains. He sent, no one would take these children, America, Europe. He took them to England and found homes for them. He saved 969. The last train couldn't get out of Czechoslovakia. For the next 50 years, he kept that secret. Didn't tell anybody about saving those children. Herculean work, just a normal man. All he thought about was the train that didn't get out, the 150 children that were left on that train and they were all trucked off to Auschwitz with their parents and they all perished. But the 969, it was only his wife who saw the scrapbooks 50 years later in 1988 and went, what is this, Nick? What's going on? He finally told her the story. She took it to the BBC and they did a documentary on it. And if you want to have a cry, watch that documentary. And watch the moment they brought Nicholas Winton, who was knighted for this. Very humble, reluctant hero. They brought him into a room. Didn't even know why he was there. They told the story. And they said, stand up. Who's been saved by the life of Nicholas Winton? And everyone in that theatre, 150 stood up. And he looked around for the food. They told him, stand up, look around. These people are alive because of you. The ladies next to him couldn't help themselves. They just had to hold his hand and hug him. And, he's, and they basically adopted him as their father. Because literally, they have no fathers. But in that time, they've had their own children and grandchildren And you know how many people are alive today because of that legacy? 15,000 people 
are alive because of this one man's, hey, let's save these children. That's the power of legacy. That's the power that Jesus says, I will birth and conceive in you when you are rescued, when you are changed and embraced by the grace of God, and when you live for me as a humble and reluctant heroine and hero alongside me, I will give you a legacy. It'll be something that perhaps no one will ever know, but I will know. And one day when we meet in heaven, we'll embrace and you'll know the truth of that. Does that sound like good news to you? Who wouldn't say yes to that? That's the message of Jesus. And I think in this movie we see some glimpses of it, just a few themes that can warm our hearts to go, yes, you know, I think I might, I might give myself to that saviour. I might give myself to that saviour and live for him. And he will be forever surrounding me and I will feel his love forever. So I invite us this morning to give our lives to that, perhaps for the first time. Perhaps again in renewal and thanks as we bow and give our lives to the saviour of our world. Let's pray. Our Father God, we bow before you and give you thanks. And we just praise your name, that you're a God who's entered our universe and our world. And we lift our hearts and minds and soul to you and ask that you will embrace us. You're so happy to see us and we're so happy to see you. And we pray for your forgiveness, your healing, your transformation, that we might join with you in your plan, your rescue of grace and yearning in this world. We pray these things in your precious, precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.